Uh, my apologies to Nathan, of course. Uh, that yawn just slipped out. <laughs> but my wife's not here, so I can do those sorts of things. <laughs> Although my son's here, and he wasn't very pleased. I don't think everyone in the family should grow up. Somebody should stay a lot of fun, I think. Anyway, that's my, I'm gonna, that's my theory, and I'm going to stick with it. I've appreciated the music uh, of the conference, uh, that beautiful song that uh, Joseph sang this morning blew me right away. And uh, the choir's been fantastic. And uh, Angela on that piano and uh, her mum on the organ, I certainly appreciate all the effort. I've got a few instrumentalists, piano players and organ players in my family, and I know there's a lot of practice. And, uh, so I really do appreciate <coughs> All the music we've had makes, uh, makes the conference just that much better. While you're turning to Ezekiel chapter 36, I've changed uh, my, uh, my message program. I was going to preach this tomorrow, but I think I'll preach this tonight. Uh, thus far in my little series, I've been looking at the places where God tells us that he is great. Uh, in uh, Psalm 145, the theme of the, uh, the conference, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And then I saw, we saw that he is the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. And then uh, this morning I showed that he is great in faithfulness. And tonight I want to talk about his great name, his great name. So let's just ask the Lord to bless. Father, we do thank you for just this opportunity to come aside from our busy lives and to spend time with, uh, with our brothers and sisters of like faith. It's such a blessing to be able to be with people that we don't have to disagree with on the most important things in our life. And we thank you that we're able to fellowship, uh, Lord, and have fun, and uh, Lord, to just to build each other up. We thank you, Lord, that we can sit under the sound of your word and be encouraged and taught and uh, Father, I thank you for these folks who've come out on, uh, on their weeknight, and I pray that as they've come, Lord, that it might be an opportunity for you to speak to them if they have a need. Please meet that need. We pray your Holy Spirit would apply your word to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel 36. I'm not going to be reading any, uh, having a specific reading because... Quite frankly, we're going to read most of the chapter uh, during the course of the meeting. The timing for Ezekiel's prophecy here <coughs> was just after the fall of Jerusalem in about 600 BC. This morning I was speaking about how Jeremiah was stuck in the siege of Jerusalem and it was after the siege of Jerusalem uh, that uh, the walls fell and the temple was destroyed and uh, the final, uh, those uh, those. Jews that were able to escape the siege were finally taken off to Babylon. Uh, the city of Jerusalem had been under siege for two years uh, after its last king rebelled against the emperor of Babylon. Uh, Ezekiel, by the time the, uh, the walls of Jerusalem fell, Ezekiel was already a captive in Babylon with thousands of others taken in two previous invasions. Uh, Daniel was taken, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They were all taken off to Babylon uh, before the fall of Jerusalem. But in the third invasion of the Babylonians, uh, this saw God's ancient people 
completely devastated. And the news would eventually filter into the Jewish ghettos in Babylon. And many would wonder, after the fall of Jerusalem, after the walls being broken down, after the temple being destroyed, after the palaces and the great buildings of Jerusalem being destroyed and most of the people taken out of the land or killed, many might wonder if this was the end of the nation. Is this the end for Israel? Could Israel come back from the ashes after this last invasion? Well, that's the question and the answer to that, God's answer to that, is Ezekiel 36 and 37. But friends, this question is still being asked today. It was the same question Paul put to the Roman church in AD 56. In Romans 11 verse 1, Paul asked, I say then, hath God cast away his people? And again in Romans 11, 11, he asked, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? The answer in, first century, in the first century AD was the same as that in 600 BC. Paul's answer in the first century AD was very simply, God forbid, God forbid. Have they stumbled that they should fall? Hath God cast away his people? God forbid. That's the short answer. The long answer is Romans 11. Paul's answer was God forbid. God had not cast away his people. Ezekiel's answer is Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel was told to prophesy not to the people, they weren't there anymore, but to the land of Israel. The land was suffering what he called the shame of the heathen. And if you want a topic for the message tonight, it's bearing the shame of the heathen. Let me just read verses 1 to 6 of this uh, prophecy. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel's over there in Babylon as one of the captives. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed. Also thou son of man, prophesy unto the mountains of Israel and say, Ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, because the enemy hath said against thee, you, <coughs> sorry, against you, aha, even the ancient high places are, are ours in possession. Therefore prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord God, because they have made you desolate and swallowed you up on every side, that ye may be a possession unto the residue of the heathen, and ye are taken up in the lips of talkers and are an infamy to the people. Because of that, therefore, ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord God to the mountains and to the hills and to the rivers and to the valleys, to the desolate wastes and to the cities that are forsaken, which shall become a prey and derision to the residue of the heathen that are round about. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Surely in the fire of my jealousy have I spoken against the residue of the heathen and against all Idumea, which have appointed my land into their possession with the joy of all their heart, with, the, with despiteful minds to cast it out for a prey. Prophesy therefore concerning the land of Israel and say unto the mountains and to the hills and to the rivers and to the valleys, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and in my fury because you have borne the shame of the heathen. Now, I don't know if you got all of that. But Ezekiel was to prophesy to the mountains of Israel. Later, he was to include the hills, the rivers, the valleys and the empty cities that had been decimated by war. The land was devoid of all of its citizens. They'd either died on the sword or they 
uh, taken off into the lands around uh, like uh, Egypt or they'd been taken off into captivity in Babylon. The land was devoid of its citizens who had either died in the invasion or been seized and taken into captivity. It seemed as if all that was left in Israel was the physical landscape. The land had been made desolate, swallowed up and taken over by the heathen. Israel had become the subject of talkers and, and its people had become the, the butt of, of, of jokes. The Egemeans in verse 5 are the Edomites. They were the descendants of Esau, uh, the brother of Jacob. Uh, they were cousins to Israel, but instead of helping Israel, <laughs> when uh, the Babylonians came, they had taken advantage of Israel's downfall. They took the possession of the land with, with, with the joy of all their hearts. They were, they were clapping their hands when the Babylonians came and took away all the people and destroyed the land. And so the Edomites said, ah, this is our chance to get some more land. With the joy of their hearts. Israel had become a prey <coughs> and a derision to the Edomians. And they scoffed at Israel. They took the spoil of the land and appointed the land as being their own possession. They would even take the high places, Zion included, for their own. This was the shame Israel bore, the shame of the heathen. And it was a shame that Israel's God took personally. What Israel's enemies did not realise was that this was God's covenant land. This was the land that God had given to Abraham, to Isaac and to Israel. Now, sure, its people were scattered and the nation was almost completely unravelled, but the land, its mountains, its rivers, its valleys were all sanctified land. They belonged, really, to God and to, uh, to Abraham's children. Israel was not up for grabs, and the Edomites were about to find that out. The Lord was jealous for the land he had covenanted, covenanted to Israel. And it's, and it's my firm conviction here in 2017 that, that God is still jealous for that ancient land. Not all people who, who say they believe the Bible believe that, but I think that this is the plain teaching of scriptures that God is still uh, jealous for that ancient land. As Israel's enemy circled and picked the carcass of the nation, the Lord was planning to shame those who shamed Israel. Have a look in verse 7. Therefore thus saith the Lord... I have lifted up mine hand. Surely the heathen that are about you, they shall bear their shame. The writer of the Hebrews wrote this. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In fact, the Lord was about to dispatch another prophet named Obadiah to deliver judgment on the Edomites. And part of that judgment was the way that they had had not helped or at least been concerned about their brethren, the Israelites, and had taken advantage of their downfall. The Lord would dispatch uh, Obadiah uh, to deliver the judgment that God would bring upon the Edomites. But having sort of said all this and understood all this, we might ask, how bad uh, had things become in Israel for God to do this to his people? What had happened to this once great nation? The northern kingdom by this time had been conquered over a century before by the Assyrians. Uh, most of its people were scattered all over the Middle East. The southern kingdom that once uh, shone under David and Solomon had been smashed by the Babylonians. The cities, palaces, its walls, 
Solomon's great temple lay in ruins. Thousands like Ezekiel, Daniel, Shadrach and Meshach, they were now captives in Babylon. Jerusalem was now a deserted pile of rubble. How would it happen? Well, we aren't left guessing by Ezekiel. We don't have to sort of work it out ourselves. We find the, the reason for the disaster in verses 16 to 20, what I've called the sin of the people. The sin of the people. Verse 16 says, <clears throat> Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Here is Ezekiel getting another word from the Lord, son of man. When the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their own doings. Their way was before me as, an un, as the uncleanness of a removed woman. Wherefore I poured my fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land and for their riders wherewith they had polluted it. And I scattered them among the heathen and they were dispersed through the countries according to their way, according to their way and according to their doings I judged them. And when they entered unto the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said to them, These are the people of the Lord, and are gone forth out of the land. When Israel lived, when the people lived in the land that God had given, uh, given them, they defiled it. It was their own way, uh, it was their own doing that brought the judgment upon them. And the way they lived was basically a, a, a filthy a filthy way, a, a filthy lifestyle. It was unclean before a holy God. Now we know, reading the scriptures, how gracious God had been for over a thousand years of history, yet despite a few bright spots in the history, Israel fell into terrible decline. First the northern kingdom and then eventually the southern kingdom. Instead of being shepherds over God's flock, the rulers shed innocent blood for personal gain. But worst of all was their idolatry. Uh, when you go to the Ten Commandments, the first three commandments are about idols and not worshipping idols and not having other gods, be, any other god before, before the true God. Idolatry is the, the one thing that, they, that God hated and didn't want them to, to emulate and bring with them out of Egypt. But sadly, over all the centuries of history, idolatry came, became dominant in both the northern and the southern Kingdoms, as you know, in the, in the northern uh, the northern kingdom, there were they had two two idols, two places to place, places to worship these two idols, and they named these idols Jehovah. They even called them Jehovah, and they had priesthoods involved in the worship of these idols. And then there were temples, shrines, groves to Baal and to Ashtaroth, and many other gods that dotted the countryside, not just in the northern kingdom, but also in Judah. It was because of these sins the Lord finally scattered his people among the heathen. But the point here that um, God makes here, sorry, the point that God makes here is that even in the places where they were scattered, these people had a bad testimony. Uh, when I scattered them, verse 19, among the heathen, and they were dispersed through the countries according to their way, according to their doings, I judged them. And when they entered into the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name. They didn't learn their lesson. They received this terrible judgment, but when, wherever they went, they still continued to profane God's holy name. So much so that even the heathen were surprised at their behaviour. Uh, these are the people of the Lord and have gone forth out of the land. Surely these aren't the people of Jehovah. 
And I wonder if this, this testimony of God's people amongst the heathen, I wonder if this rings any kind of alarm for you and me. I wonder if there are idols in our lives. Do people know that we are a Christian, but they're surprised by what we say and what we do? I remember when I was a student at university, I went to work in a factory for a while. Uh, I didn't have really have the muscles for factories, so I was glad when I finished uni. Uh, but I remember, you know, trying to strap a pallet with this guy who went to the one of the local Baptist churches and he had long hair and he was smoking a cigarette and uh, he was trying to quote me First John 5, 11 and 12 and he was telling me at, at, the, at the cafe, the, the coffee shop in the local Baptist uh, uh, church, you could, get, you could get marijuana there. <laughs> and he almost quoted First John 5, 11 and 12. Uh, he almost got it right. So, it's, you know, I'm wondering, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Is this guy truly so? What does that church preach? To profane means to defile or pollute. And so let me ask you do you or I profane God's name by our carnal lifestyle? So that when we spend time with the unsaved, do they wonder at our behaviour? They say about us, these people say they're Christians, but they act and they speak just like us. That's how it was for the people of Israel in Ezekiel's generation. So the Lord sent his armies to judge the people and cleanse the land of idols. But thankfully, it was not the end for the sons and daughters of Abraham. And so in verses 18, 8 to 15, we see the grace of God. 8, 8 to 15, let me read these verses to you. But ye, O mountains of Israel, ye shall shoot forth your branches, and yield your fruit to my people of Israel, for they are at hand to come. For behold, I am for you, and will not turn unto you, uh, turn unto you, and ye shall be tilled and sown. I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, even all of it. And the city shall be inhabited, and the waste shall be builded, and I'll multiply unto you man and beast, and they shall increase and bring fruit. I was I will set, settle you after your old estates and will do better unto you than at your beginnings. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Yea, I will cause men to walk upon you, even my people Israel. And they shall possess thee, and thou shalt be their inheritance, and thou shalt no more henceforth bereave them of men. Thus saith the Lord God, because they say unto you, Thou land, thou land devourest up men, Hast thou bereaved my, thy nations? Therefore thou shalt devour me, men no more, neither bereave thy nations any more, saith the Lord God. Neither will I cause men to hear in thee the shame of the heathen any more. Neither shalt thou bear the reproach of the people any more. Neither shalt thou cause the nations to fall any more, saith the Lord God. Here we read that the most, uh, Ezekiel was to speak to the mountains of Israel again. And he commanded the land to prepare, really, for, for the return of the people. The land was deserted now. It was in ruins. But here the, uh, Ezekiel was to, 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 to tell the people in captivity that, that, to give this prophecy to the mountains, to prepare for the return of its people. And he commanded the land to bring forth fruit because the, the people would soon be home. And the good news was that the Lord was for the land and not against the land. A remnant would return and once again fill the cities and rebuild the nation. Men and animals would return to their old estates. And in fact, they'd do better this time than they did before. 
And, be, and there would be no more idols because the people would know only the Lord. The people of Israel would indeed inherit the land as promised to the fathers and the shame of the heathen would be removed. God's covenant people would once again be in the covenant land. That was the prophecy that uh, Ezekiel was to deliver to, to, deliver, uh, to those captives <coughs> in Babylon. And friends, that's just how it happened. Just as Ezekiel foresaw, the history books tell us, after 70 years in captivity, the Lord brought Israel back into the land. It's all recorded in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Thankfully, the Lord had not finished with Israel. But why? Why would God do such a thing? After such wickedness, over such a prolonged period of time, after giving them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, why would the Lord give Israel, Israel uh, yet another chance? Why would he do that? Well, Ezekiel explains that as well in verses 20 to 24 in what I've called the pity of Jehovah. The pity of Jehovah, <coughs> verse 20 to 24. And when they entered... Unto the heathen whither they went, they profaned my holy name when they said to them, These are the people of the Lord and are gone forth out of his land. But I had pity for mine holy name, which the house of Israel hath profaned among the heathen whither they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen whither ye went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Now did you notice in verse 23, just these three were words. Verse 23, my great name. Great is the Lord. That's our theme, and that, that includes his name. His great name. The reason the Lord uh, would, would do all this for this rebellious people because he wanted to pity, he had pity for his own name. Israel had left such a bad testimony before the heathen. The heathen would have thought that Israel's God was a weak God. If they saw these, these captivities coming in from Jerusalem and they knew Jerusalem had been destroyed, they think well, their God must be a weak God. Uh, they would have thought Israel's God was happy with immorality and corruption when they saw the way they acted and the way they spoke. Even when they were captives in the land, if, if, if they saw the way they, they acted, they, they would have thought that, that Israel's God was happy with immorality and corruption. Or that he was happy to be just one of many gods because they seemed to have other gods. God's people had left a bad impression of who Jehovah was. And when God saw his name profaned, dragged through the mud by his own people, he took pity on his name. So he was gracious yet again. And for his name's sake, he gave the people another chance. Now, he had made a promise to Abraham. That's another reason, I suppose. <laughs> but he was finding it hard to keep the promise. Abraham's offspring was so wayward and inclined to evil 
but he would keep his promise so that either the heathen would know that Israel's God is a holy God and a God to be feared. And so the Lord would bring his people back into the land. In verse 28, we read, that's exactly what we read, and ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. It would take 70 years, as I said, for the Lord to accomplish this. Now, he would have had to do a few things, <laughs> like move the heart of the Persian Empress Cyrus <laughs> to make an amazing decree that even today, the decree he made, it's on a tablet that stands uh, on the, on the, in, 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 uh, in, in, in New York, uh, in the United Nations building, the, the, the tablet of, uh, of Cyrus. Uh, this amazing decree that Cyrus gave. Uh, he, he would have to make it possible for 50,000, he would make it possible for 50,000 Israelites uh, to trek all the way back to the land. Uh, he would raise up a godly scribe named Ezra to make copies of the Bible. He would later call a devout man called Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And when all this happened, when all the people were back in the land and the walls were built and the temple was rebuilt, the name of the Lord would be restored. The Lord had by covenant attached his name to this land and to this people. And that's what would save Israel and restore them to the land. And the heathen would know Israel's God could bring life where there'd only been death and destruction before. This was the message Ezekiel was to deliver to, deliver to the captives in Babylon. Yes, the land and nation were destroyed but the Lord would restore them for his own name's sake because great is his name. But I wonder, as the Lord looks at your heart and my heart, what does he see? When he looks into your home and my home, what does he see? I wonder if he sees our carnal hearts and our carnal habits. And I wonder when, when he looks at our hearts and in, into our homes, I wonder if he pities his name. Because you see, it, for those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as, his, as our saviour, he has, he has attached his name to us. He has eternally attached his name to ours. We are known as Christians, Christ ones, Christ followers. We are known to the world as Christians. And, you know, sometimes we, we bear and we should bear his name as a badge of honour. But I wonder if he pities his name when he looks at our hearts and he looks at our habits. When he sees how we live before our unsaved family. Oh, we live one way here at church, but when we get home, out comes the language. Or we don't really ever open our Bible when he looks how we behave before our unsaved family or before our neighbours or our workmates. Does he pity his name? because of the testimony we bear. Like Israel of old, we have an enemy. And he can come as an angel of light or a roaring lion or as a Delilah to seduce us. And he uses every wile he has in his diabolical arsenal against us. And once he has wounded us, he will come in like Edom to take the spoil. He wants to swallow us up in sin or make our Christian life desolate. He wants us to bear the shame of the heathen. Satan can only do that, though, to a Christian, if we give him ground in our lives. Like Israel, we could let Satan in with our constant sinning. We can allow idols into our life. Even good things can become idols, can't they? 
the hobbies that inflame our lusts, uh, hobbies that can swallow up our time and, and, and so we don't have time for the Lord. Bitterness can take root and so when Satan sees some bitterness, he waters it and he nourishes it so it can do maximum harm. I've, I've seen all of this. I've seen all of this in many Christian hearts and homes. And now these hearts and homes bear the shame of the heathen. The unsaved people say, well, these are Christians? Well, they must have a weak God. Or if that is their God, I don't want him in my life. There's a warning for us in Ezekiel 36 to be holy as he is holy, to be careful of our hearts and habits that we don't bear the shame of the wicked, the shame of the heathen. And when I was thinking about his great name and, and how his, the ancient people profaned his name, the sad truth is in the, the day in which we live, just almost on a daily basis, there, we hear of the immoral deeds of those who claim to be God's people. We are forced to hear of the terrible deeds of, of people from Roman priests to Baptist pastors. And every time I hear it, it, it really makes me angry because I know of all the good things that, that people have done in the name of Christ. <laughs> but, that, but the bad things, the evil things, are the things that are reported on. But friends, the true casualty in all these abominable acts, the true casualty is the name of God, the great name of our God. His name is profaned among the heathen. And so how can we win these people to Christ when they hear of all these evil deeds being done by those who have attached their name to his? We have an awesome responsibility. So we have an awesome privilege to bear his name. But that carries with it an awesome responsibility. What a sad thing <laughs> that the Lord would look at David Mitchell and he would pity his name because of me, especially after all that the Lord has done for me. We need to really understand how important it is that we don't bear the shame of the heathen. We understand what it means to bear his name because his name is a name. Great is the Lord. His name is great and his name is holy. So let's honour it in life and in lip. Thank you very much. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we know that these, uh, these prophecies and this story of the history of Israel is given to us, Lord. Our Lord, there's, there's nothing held back so that, Father, we might learn from the mistakes of your people Israel. But, Father, how often we, we fail. We, we know the stories, but we fail to take heed to them. We fail to let the message sink in. How often, Lord, we have failed you and we have profaned your name by the things we've said and the things we've done when we've been mixing it with the, God, the ungodly or when we've, Lord, been not here in church or whatever. I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand that wherever we go, we bear his name and we are to bear it, Lord, uh, carefully so that we give a good witness for you. Oh, Lord, we just thank you that we have this privilege. And I pray that you would keep us uh, Lord, uh, to, up to that great privilege you've given us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.